0: Hey, it's Mindy. I wanted to let you know that my Heart Path Retreat is coming up, and you are not going to want to miss it, especially since this year you can attend from the comfort of your own home. This is the 2020 special, right? (laughs) This is actually going to be the 10th Heart Path, but the first time ever that we are doing a live virtual experience. Learn more at heartpathretreats.com. Get registered today, and you... We'll get more clarity, more courage, and more conviction by learning how to get out of your head and into your heart. I cannot wait to see you there, heartpathretreats.com. All right, all right, let's get to the show. Join me on my journey as I explore wealth in all areas of life. I'm your host, Mindy Kinnis, and this is The Lucrative Society. My guest today is my dear friend, Joe Polish. Joe, welcome to The Lucrative Society.
1: Nice to be here, Mindy, thank you.
0: Yeah, I'm super excited about this conversation because I wanna get into some kind of not usual things that I talk about on this show, specifically because you and I have had some really interesting, powerful experiences together. Yeah. And the one that I wanna begin with is that you were there the night that Sean died. You were there with us at the hospital. You basically had come over as soon as you could, which was awesome. And to set the stage a little bit for my question, Sean had passed away during surgery, and then the doctor had come out to talk to us and to tell us what had happened. And the doctor said, we're going to clean him up a little bit, and then you can go back and see him and say your goodbyes, which we did. You then said something really fascinating to me. You said, you know what? I don't consider myself a spiritual person, but that, as in going to see Sean, was a spiritual experience. I want to know what you meant by that.
1: Well, you know, when Sean was in the, uh, at the he was in one hospital first, and then he had to be air vac to the hospital with a trauma center where they were going to do the surgery to um, try to relieve the pressure on his brain from the hematoma, I think you call it. Hematoma. Uh, yeah, that uh, because of the fall. And um, he had said to me and you that line that we both heard before, but just the way he had said it, he said, this is not happening, you know, to me, this is happening for me. But I didn't hear that. I, I asked him to repeat, I'm like, what did you say? And you were right on the other side of the bed with, uh, with me. And he prior to that, Sean had been, you know, kind of dozing in and out because of the uh, pain in medications. And he seemed to, from my experience and my memory, a very kind of lucid in that moment, he said that. And then he went right back into that pain state. And it was a real sort of eerie, surreal thing for me to experience that because he kind of was dipping in and out of a different sort of consciousness. And I have no idea what sort of pain he was experiencing you know we weren't in his body and 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 it was uh i mean it was kind of agonizing uh you know seeing him in pain and then when they had to incubate him which he didn't want to have done but had to be done in order for them to i'm sorry i'm sorry (laughs) uh, let me let me mispronounce every medical (laughs) sort of thing that i possibly could during this uh okay joe you know
0: i got you in that department (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> we're here for the uh how to correct joe with grammar uh show. so um what uh is interesting because i never did I, did I didn't know how to pronounce it which is sort of funny even to this day uh, there's well,
0: intubate is different than intubate, intubate.
1: yeah yeah <laughs> like, you are you are, you are absolutely right <laughs> intubate.
0: and sean was intubated
1: <laughs> yeah He's got to be looking down if he's up there somewhere. If there is the afterlife, Mindy, he's looking down, just laughing his ass off right now. Oh, I'm pretty
0: sure he's right here with us laughing his ass off at like, okay, Mindy, like this is...
1: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it it became, I don't know, there was a something where he knew. He just sort of knew. But his consciousness, yet, he was still in like the halfway between... The passing on world and the holding on world was my sense of it. And I thought he was gonna be okay. I think we all thought he was gonna be okay. Because when the neurosurgeon came out, he I thought he was a very friendly, nice guy. And you know, we told him who he was and how many lives he had impacted. He's like, Yeah, I'll, we'll we'll take care of it, we'll do the best we can. And uh, then when he walked out with that team of people to let us, I mean, as soon as he walked out, I mean, as soon as, I just knew something was you know. wrong. I think we just, there was like an energy there, right? Totally. And, and it was just like, whew, you know, so because of, so to answer your question, because of that, you know, I don't know how much time had elapsed between when we were at the prior hospital and he had said, this is, you know, he was on this, that stretcher and he was sitting up against the back and all the pain. and. He had said, this is not happening to me. This is happening for me. There there was a something about how he said it, about the state that he was in prior to saying it. And now he became very sort of focused and said that with conviction. I mean, he said it powerfully. Mm-hmm. And then he went right back into that. It's almost like a person who's sort of going to sleep or passing out. They have a moment of like total awareness and focus. They say something profound and then boom, right back into it and then went into that state. And so there was just a feeling and an energy that I don't know how to explain. And, and yeah, I'm, I don't know how to think about this from a, uh, afterlife, a spiritual sort of thing. That's so to go to your, yeah, that's about as close to like, wow, there's something going on here that you could ever experience that i could ever experience
0: yeah i mean one of the reasons i wanted to ask you about that is because everything i do like my work my play my my life it's all based in my spiritual experience like 100 percent of it there's nothing that is separate or outside of that and so i'm so curious for you like how how did that affect you going forward having had that like surreal whatever that was
1: I think Sean was trying to communicate something to us from a different sort of realm than just what we consider normal consciousness on earth. And I'm a guy who my mother was a former nun. I was raised Catholic. I spent thousands of hours of my life praying to a God that I never really feel. I'm you know, i not going to try to explain what my beliefs are because I don't know what they fully are, right? I just... Believe that something does not come from nothing. So something created this. Is that a supreme intelligence? Is that an energy? Is it science? I I don't know. And I, you know, uh, I've always liked to say, "Lord, help me search for the truth, but spare me the company of those that have already found it." Which my friend, (laughs) Ned Hollowell told me. Right. So the whole and there's a lot of people that try to position themselves as spiritual that are, you know, weird and strange. You know, from my perspective and
0: yeah, and total assholes. (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah. And you know, and I've done some pretty interesting experiences that have taken me to different levels of consciousness. I mean, I'm a I'm a guy who, you know, spent many many years in in addiction and which is where I spend half my time now trying to help people with recovery and whatnot. And uh yeah, there was something about but you know, Sean though was a different sort of um human. He was a different sort of being. There was I've never met anyone quite like Sean who had that shell that was his body and that vessel in the power and insight and goofiness in everything in between that emerged out of it. I mean, you can, you know, I mean, me and Sean have been with each other in our most broken states, crying and all fucked up to, you know, having the most in-depth, you know, I would like to think very conscious, caring, uh, sort of conversations. I mean, we were both angry and annoyed. We could be spiteful and pissed at other people and stuff and other times just the most caring and loving and, and, and you know and i i just felt you know he was such a a good human that had in incredible obstacles to overcome that i don't think many people could and he, here's a guy who transcended it and i think with everything that happened you know with this year going into covid and how long has it been now it's been one year and almost a month Yep. I guess since Sean passed away at the time we're having this conversation. And it's almost like he, you know, he was, I think he was sort of ready on a spiritual level, probably not on a physical level because certainly when he was there, we could see the fear. I mean, when he, when he called me from the car with you and on FaceTime and said, you know, can you come to the hospital? I fell down again. It was almost a, five years ago to the day. Well, probably but maybe like a few days apart. You know, he had had the same fall, and it was in in the day prior to that. You know, my on Facebook it reminds you, and that picture pops up, and then and me and him had had crude messages back and forth with Jim Do, one of our friends. Just which surprisingly, Jim's coming over my house tonight for dinner with his wife Mimi, which is interesting. That you know, if you just think about piecing it together,
0: it's not surprising at all.
1: Yeah, yeah, Sean's setting it up, (laughs) so. Uh, But, you know, yeah, he just, uh, I don't know. I mean, there was, that was a very surreal, interesting, tragic, and simultaneously beautiful experience in a lot of ways. I just, just the pain and the suffering that guy went through, and it was, that was one hell of an agonizing night that I spent a lot of time having a difficult time processing, not knowing how to process it uh, probably avoiding a lot of the processing, Pro- probably a lot of it. I still haven't fully, um, have learned the lessons from it, but it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was definitely not of this earth sort of feeling as there was something else there. And, and I don't know how to explain that. Nor am I going to pretend to try to fabricate something to make it sound like it was something that there a lot of it. I don't know how to explain it. It was just an interesting energy that was throughout that whole time. And even after he passed away, there was, you know, uh, looking at our, our friend, your husband, you know, who I, a guy who I considered, you know, uh, one of my best friends, if not my best friend. And, uh, you know, just, yeah, it was, it was interesting. It was crazy.
0: It, it, It was all of those things, but I want to point something out to you if you have, have not, seen the correlation prior to this is that you too have overcome and gotten through things that probably most people wouldn't be able to do the level of, you know, and actually I'll just ask you to talk about it because some of our listeners may not know you as well as I know you. Can you give them just, I know it's a, it's a big story, but maybe kind of the brushstrokes of your experience.
1: Yeah. And let me say all this, that I am a guy who goes through stages of enormous gratitude and pinching myself with what I have in my life. And I feel very lucky and very fortunate from where I was born to the fact that I, I don't have any massive, you know, major handicaps other than a, I've had a lot of mental issues, <laughs> you know, and, and that comes from trauma. So, I mean, my, my quick version of my story, I mean, I have, a, I have a great, you know, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a business owner and, and all that stuff uh, how my, the atmospheric conditions of my life, as my friend Don Wood says, if you understood the atmospheric conditions of somebody's life, it would make sense to why they're the way they are. And so my mother died when I was four years old. Uh, my father loved her to death. I had one older brother, four and a half years older than me, um, totally broke my father's heart. He didn't know how to cope with it. Uh, he unfortunately kind of lived a tormented life ever since he never really recovered from my mother's, uh, death, which left him with two kids that he frankly didn't know kind of how to raise them. So he did the best he knew how to do. He was a locksmith. Uh, every two years, my entire, every one year to two years, my entire childhood, we would move because he, my father couldn't settle down. He could, he was always trying to find a place that he felt okay after my mom died. And he, he never found that place. And I was incredibly shy and introverted. And, and I didn't, uh, I think part of me, you know, uh, didn't know how to as I didn't understand this till many years later in life that what's a four year old interpret a mom who's there one day and one day the mom is gone. She died of a, some form of stomach cancer. You know, that was abandonment, but not that my, my mother, you know, as far as I know, my mother never drank, never smoked. Uh, You know, how did she get cancer? Why did she get cancer? You know, and I, I relate things back to even disease and stuff today are either external or internal toxins, either, overwhelming trauma emotions perceptions how you view and see and experience the world or you're being exposed to poisons I don't think a body just gets sick you know people can argue all kinds of reasons why talk about genetics and various other things and I'm sure there's many factors I have no clue about what causes what uh, but you know my mo- something happened to my mother I don't know what it was and uh, so she she died and then throughout my childhood um, you know, I was getting picked on a lot, bullied, Uh, you know, between the ages of eight to 10 years old, I was uh, being molested by somebody, Um, you know, I was raped, I was paid money not to say anything. Uh, So I had it, you know, I I had no mother, a female upbringing. So even, you know, becoming a teenager and and an adult, I never had a model of a healthy relationship. Uh, What sex was, you know, sex to me was something shameful and dirty not an intimate act of love and oneness so you know my whole life has had a little bit of that scar tissue i've done a ton of of seminars and therapy and recovery work and so i became a drug addict you know uh, early very early in life you know between the ages of 16 to 18 i was smoking pot almost daily for a couple of years, uh, snorting cocaine, snorting speed, freebasing, uh, crystal meth, psychedelics. I mean, lots of LSD before the age of 18, drinking, smoking, you know, the whole works. And I was a troublemaker. Uh, I wasn't a mean person. Uh, I still was a guy that in school, if I saw people fighting each other, uh, even though I was skinny and not physically strong, I. you know, I would try to break up fights if it wasn't going to get me killed. I didn't like seeing people hurt each other. So it it was a mixed thing. I mean, part of me was rebellious and wanted to be like, screw you, because I felt throughout my whole life, I was just getting, you know, crapped on and getting fucked with. Um, And there was another part of me that's, you know, just trying to, you know, just be a decent person. So, you know, I I was a drug dealer when I was doing drugs, because that's the only way I could get drugs. So, you know, there were things like that, that I wasn't you know, I mean, everyone falls into that sort of trap if you're you're an addict, and I didn't understand it. But my my response then was I was just in pain. You know, I mean, I I, be, I believe addiction is a response to to pain. It's an attempt to to soothe, and I was very disconnected. And through getting high uh, and altering my you know biochemistry, my state. I mean, cocaine's great for someone that's depleted in dopamine. I mean, it shoots the dopamine up, makes you feel really good in the moment, but then you're paranoid as hell, and it was. You know, so I really did a lot of damage to my body. I, you know, my worst state when I was uh, 18 years old, I weighed 105 pounds one week. I remember I would not eaten for hardly anything for about a week. On average, I was weighing about 120 pounds, but there was one week where I was, I remember getting on the scale as was 105 pounds. I didn't try to weigh myself too much back then because I was just, you know, when you're 5'10", 18 year old male, that's pretty skinny.
0: <laughs> that's <Yeah>. really skinny. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean and I remember looking in the uh looking in the mirror one day and I looked like a skeleton and I was just like, oh my God, you know, but I was I was I was addicted. I mean I, and I was just and part of that was I in high school I went from being the shy introverted guy to getting high and for some reason it took away the fear, it took away the anxiety, and I started to be able to interact and I became one of the most popular people in my high school, not by music or sports or some sort of academic skills by being a partier and being to mingle. And then this one kid, I, was, I, I had a cold one day, I had a sore throat, and this guy who I thought was one of my best friends, out of the blue, well, I shouldn't say it, let, let me back up. A couple of days prior, we would always go to lunch and he was driving, you know, he had this VW bug, literally out of, if anyone remembers the movie, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I mean that was like you know that sort of thing back then, and you know get high in this VW bus, <laughs> uh, and he he just took off. We would always go to these fast food places like pizza places, Taco Bell, McDonald's. I mean the worst food you could ever possibly eat, but that's the crap we're eating for lunch. And I was went to Dobson High School in Mesa, Arizona, and. You know, he, he just took off and left, uh, you know, and I had to walk half a mile back to high school, and I, like for no reason. I was, I was like, you know, being a typical young asshole. Right. And for something, something happened there. But this kid just somehow just decided to have some, some issue with me for, I, I, I knew no reason why. And then when I was walking to my locker, a couple days later, and I, I remember being really out of cold. And out of the blue, I just see someone come out and just punch me right in the face from the side. Then even, and then jumps on top of me and just starts wailing on my face. And I kind of, you know, finally get the guy off of me. And I'm not a, you know, I'm a guy doing drugs every day and stuff. I'm not like this physically, and I'm not a fighter. I'm not in the sports. And uh, you know, he had split my eyebrow open, so I had all this blood pouring into my right eye. And you know, and I'm just like, what the hell? And uh, so what happened is I went from like having all of these friends and we were friends together, half of them were sided with me and we're like, what the hell the other, whatever story he manufactured. And I saw these people that I thought were my friends and it was just a bunch of high school bullying, weird games. And I felt like, man, like who are people? And it it was my first sort of, you know, God, who are your friends? What is a friendship? What like, what is this shit? I didn't even do anything in and here. And, and so I went deeply into doing drugs. I mean, as a way to just cope with the, just the pain of it all, just the angst of it all. And that led into my, you know, I was 18 years old. I, uh, you know, when I, the year I graduated, went into the summer. And I, I remember when during the graduation ceremony, instead of walking and accepting, you know, the graduation certificate, I uh, was watching the graduation, which was in the football stadium, uh, from a friend's backyard that was right up against the the the, the high school field, and I was freebasing cocaine, watching my high school graduation walk, and I just at that point I'd like screw it, and that led into me just you know spending that summer every single day uh, doing coke, and and it got really bad, and there was um, yeah there was one. One period where, uh, I mean, I don't want to drag out this story too much, but I was living with uh, you know a couple of different people that were doing drugs, and one of them, this is an interesting story. I don't tell this one too much, but this guy, uh, I have no idea whatever happened to him. His, his his name was Dan. I have no idea what his last name was. I can't remember. This was thirty freaking years ago, and uh, he had been busted for uh, for selling uh, drugs. And he was in the process of having to go to court and I came home one night and uh, one day and he's like over the sink with a glass pipe smoking coke. And he had like an appearance in court the next day on drug charges. And I was like, dude, like really stop this and try to go to bed, man. This is like really messed up. And I go to bed and I wake up in the morning and I go downstairs. The guy's in a three piece suit, sweating, still smoking a pipe in a rush because his lawyer is waiting outside to take him to court for to appear for drug charges. Now it didn't occur to me then, but looking back now is that is what addiction is. Most people would say, what an idiot, what an asshole, that sort of, that is a person who the, the need to get high and try to escape from that was Stronger than and no rational person would do that. And this guy was not a rocket scientist by any means, but he wasn't a dummy either. I remember that this guy wasn't an idiot, right? He was just a he was an addict, but he was crazy and he was out of control, and he he, he started to get violent, and so he went to court. And there were, you know, I, I come home a couple of days later, and you know he's out on bail, and you know I'm watching television with a friend over, and this guy busted just comes into the condo with a can of lighter fluid starts spraying it everywhere. And I had long hair at the time spraying it everywhere. And I've lighter fluid dripping down my forehead. And this guy had just put lighter fluid all over the house and he holds up a lighter, lights it. I'm going to fucking torch this. And like screaming and I'm like, put it down, talking this guy. Like if this guy would have torched it, we would have all been in flames, the whole condo. Yeah. And I'm like sitting there going, this is my life. This is, crazy i gotta get the hell out of here and so the next day i packed up all the stuff i i could i was a drug addict i drove to new mexico and i ended up living in a trailer with my father and got clean in the first six months where i didn't go to any treatment centers i was taking tylenol or aspirin every day because the headaches were insane the withdrawal symptoms were terrible, but I literally cut off all access to all my friends, all and so it was an environment change. I mean, if I was around any of the people I was around, I would have figured out a way to continue to be an addict. And so I had to go through that grueling thing. I ended up getting a job delivering newspapers in a in a truck, you know, like adult newspaper routes. And then I got a job at a gym selling health club memberships, and I started working out for the first time in my life. And I went to New Mexico State University, got all A's. Um, I <laughs> uh got a job, you know, I, I was working at this gym selling health club memberships and someone there ran a mental hospital and offered me a position to be a mental health tech and I ended up going and working at a mental health hospital and I would take the patients that were there for addiction, there was the adult ward, the adolescent ward, and people were there for mental, you know, and mental illness, uh, depression, uh, some suicides, cutters addicts and I would drive one of the one of the things that I they would have me do is drive the uh, addicts the alcoholics to AA meetings for Alcoholics Anonymous, NA meetings, Narcotics Anonymous, uh, CA meetings, Cocaine Anonymous and um, I sat in on those meetings and listened to the people tell their stories not realizing how much impact that would not only have on me in my life then but also later in life.
0: I love this story so much Joe because it's such a perfect example. Of what I call heart path like my thing is you're always on the right path even when you're screwing up and freebasing cocaine and like messing around that was leading you to the next thing and then to the next thing and to the next thing and what you have created today I want to ask you about because it is so powerful you said earlier when you're introducing yourself on this show you're like yeah I'm an entrepreneur but um, hello (laughs) (laughs) Like you're not, you're not just an entrepreneur. You have created the biggest networking thing that there is like ever. So we're not just talking your standard everyday little business. You have created so much in that, but you've also then in the last number of years done so much work with addiction, continuing to help people and serve people so broadly. So all of that crap that you went through really developed you into the person to be able to do that.
1: Yes. Yeah, so looking back, I mean, I hated so much of my life uh, from a, like the angst and the anxiety and the stress. Uh, even when I had things that were good, there was always a dark cloud that seemed to be over, you know, a lot of depression, a lot of suicide, suicidal ideation. I never tried to commit suicide, but I've spent, God knows how many countless hundreds of hours, maybe thousands contemplating not existing while simultaneously, you know, being, trying to be so grateful, being, you know, saying the words, uttering the words, but feeling like, uh, you know, who am I to, there's so many people in this world that go through so much pain, why Why am I not happy? You know, what, why can I not be satisfied? That, you know, that sort of stuff, which is is, is, is is very hard when you're conflicted with yourself. You know, you can on one hand say you have something that people would do anything to have, and you're sitting there feeling unfulfilled or bitching about it, right? So all of those experiences though, looking back, even as hard as they were, I couldn't do any of the stuff I do with addicts today had that not happened. I mean, so all of this is raw material to, you know, all these things in life, if it doesn't kill you, there's a lot to be said that which doesn't kill you, makes you stronger in some cases. Well, you know
0: what, you know what Sean's phrase was, what doesn't kill you raises your speaker fee.
1: (laughs) ain't that the truth right you know here's here's a funny thing about that too though you know I've I've often said a lot is you know a lot of people want to hear my oh you know what happened to you as a kid and here's all this stuff and they certainly can resonate with it and I I try to be careful to what degree I say it because you it's real easy to get caught up in woundology if you if you walk around talking about how bad things were and everything I mean there are people that have experienced stuff that I can't even can't even imagine that are so admirable I mean Sean Stevenson as an example, right? You know, there's plenty of shit in your life that is, I mean, so we all have our battles. Everyone has their battles. Some are dealt a different deck of cards, a stack of cards than than other people. And, you know, for me, all the things that I used to think were a curse, I now actually have seen a lot of them as a blessing. There are still some things that I'm like, what the fuck? Like, why? Did this happen i mean i'd like to think that every person i try to think of them as that little kid that you know got hurt and grew up to make you know bad decisions and that's the problem as you know mindy about understanding a lot about psychology you can it, it tends to <laughs> once you know that the cause of so many things it makes sense right exactly so. i
0: call that tracing the psychology like you can always trace it back to the shit that went down. So let me ask you about this Joe because this is so pertinent. The reason why I started this whole show and the conversations that I have with a lot of people on this show it's really about a relationship with money because I mean you know my story like I had all the worst things that could possibly happen in the financial realm happen and I'm constantly like weren't learning growing you know developing myself in that capacity and you said something once and I want to remind you of this and then ask you a question about it Sean and you and I were together we were having lunch or something and we were walking back to our cars and you had just recently at that time bought a new Tesla mm-hmm. and so Sean of course car guy was like oh yeah let me check out your car let me see it and you had said oh yeah and I, I paid cash for it and Sean said oh to have the type of money that Joe Polish has and then you go Yes, but that would come with the problems that Joe Polish has. And what I want to ask you about, because I love just hearing different opinions on this, like how in the heck do you, coming from that perspective, how do you define wealth? Like what is wealth to you?
1: Yeah, that's well, from a money standpoint and just simply making money. I mean, I have this, uh, I have this thing that Dean Jackson helped me come up with, which is, I know I'm being successful when. And so when it comes to money, the you're not successful or unsuccessful, you're successful when certain things exist in your life. Like if I started freebasing cocaine tomorrow, no matter how much money I have in two weeks, if I stay with it, anything that you would call successful is going to be either gone or heavily, (laughs) heavily compromised. Right. Even if I have like a ton of money. Right. And so the thing About wealth, I think of wealth now—not just financial wealth, but there's spiritual wealth, there's physical wealth. I I I always love the proverb: "He he or she who has their health has a thousand dreams; he or she who does not has only one." So, if I was laid up in a hospital bed, uh, I would give everything. I'll tell you I'll tell you story about wealth. So I've done this a few times in seminars and don't, don't do it too much, but I've done it a few times, depending on the audience. And some sometimes people want me to talk about different things, how to connect with people, how to meet famous people, all that sort of stuff. Because, you know, as you know, I know a lot of well-known people and, um, you know, other times marketing and making money. I'd much rather talk about all the other stuff other than marketing and making money, although those are the things that are probably most practical that I could teach people. <laughs> so. I remember giving this one talk the first time I did, it, and I said, you know, how many, uh, by show of hands, how many of you in the room are worth a million dollars? And, you know, a few people raised their hands. Anyone here worth five million, a couple people? Anyone worth, you know, 10 million or more? I think there was like one person in the back, and there was, you know, a few hundred people in this audience. And um, I said, okay, I go, um, how many of you would like uh, to be worth a million dollars or more? You know, a bunch of show of hands. I said, okay. how many of you would like me to give you a million dollars? Everyone raises their hand, almost everyone. I'm like, okay, what if, uh, what if I give you a million dollars if you pluck out an eyeball? How many of you would do that? No one raises their hand, so like, huh. I go, okay, so your eyeballs aren't, they're worth more to you than a million bucks. I go, how about five million? Anyone, 10 million? No, no one. Anyone, would you, would you chop off one of your legs for 50 million bucks? No one. I go, interesting, you're already worth more than a million dollars, aren't you? So you sit here all day wishing you had this, but you have things that people that don't have those would do anything to have vision, to have hearing, to have legs, to have the ability to do stuff. And we just take for granted just how amazing life is because I could be blind. And when I feel crappy, I'm as crazy as it sounds, I will sit and say, I'm not blind. There are people that have to get through life every day dealing with things that I have no clue. That's one of the things I so admired about Sean. I mean, how in the hell he maintains such a happy attitude? I'll sit and find myself bitching about stuff in the middle of luxury. And here's this guy that, you know, 200 broken bones in his body having to deal with ridicule his whole life, self-confidence, self-esteem issues. Listen,
0: Joe, you know that he bitched as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, he (laughs) No, Sean Shama, is a master it.
0: <laughs> but, you know, the thing is, is,
1: is you can use comparison to make yourself miserable if you compare to what you don't have or you can use it actually to give you some perspective based yeah. on what you do have. Right. It's all how you use it. Right. Because you know, a good way to be miserable is compare yourself to other people. You know, the thing is, is doing the best you can. So as far as wealth, you know, I look at health, wealth and health. Health, uh, <laughs> <Elf>. So <laughs> I can't speak today, Mindy, for some reason. <laughs> even my own stuff, I can't even say right. <laughs> so yeah, so health, uh, we got physical and mental health, right? And then we've got wealth, not only making money, but being able to manage it, which are two different skill sets.
0: We just called Jim Do for that. So.
1: <laughs> exactly. Ex- exactly. Yeah. He's been on this wealth. show
0: already. So everybody knows him.
1: Yeah, no, he's great. He's great. And uh, so you know, I want to have enough money so I no longer have any problems that money can solve. And then I have to deal with the ones that money can't solve. Like right. you know like Jim Rohn said, you can't pay someone to do your push-ups for you. So uh, I, you know the more famous you are, the more money you make, the more responsibility you take on, the bigger of a target you are. Uh, I, I'm this I'm in a weird place right now in my life where most I like the personal development industry. I just don't like most of the people that are in it. And when I say I don't like them, it's not like I resent them. I just don't like the fakeness of it all.
0: Agreed. Uh, Thank you. The,
1: the more fake, fain- I mean, there's some great, there's some great um, technologies and there's some wonderful lessons in learning. And I mean, a person seeking to better their life and, and personally develop themselves is wonderful. I just don't like the, the amount of thievery. There's so much disrespect of ideas, people stealing other people's IP people that are really famous and have millions of followers that put their name on quotes that they never said. I mean, you know, there's just a lot of disrespect and there's yeah, a lot of drives me crazy. Yeah, yeah. It drives me nuts. Yeah. It does drive me. And that's, I, I, and, and part of it is because there's a lot of exploitation of vulnerabilities, you know, and and I don't like that because there's a lot of people that are just trying to get through life. And I, you know, you, 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 you can, there's a saying I I heard growing up that kind of, I used as a lot as a guidepost is be nice to the people you meet on the way up. They're the same people you meet on the way down. I change it a little bit now about respect the people you meet on the way up. They're the same people you meet on the way down because you can be really kind to people that will just turn around and screw you, you know. So I, I've learned. Uh, I've, my cautionary tale is be a giver. Life gives to the giver and takes from the taker. Just be selective of who you give to. If you notice yourself giving and being useful, which you should always be, always give people the benefit of the doubt. But if you see them hurting others, exploiting others, I mean, people that really become part of my inner circle are, who are people that are more powerful? How how do they treat people that are less powerful than them? And if I see them, you know, not saying thank you, if someone holds open the door or being rude to a, you know, a server at a restaurant, uh, they'll be rude to anyone. Yeah. Yeah. So that's who becomes my friend. And so as far as wealth, I mean, making money is a good thing. People that say money can't buy happiness. It's in this trailer for this, you know, someone made a movie on on my life called connected the Joe Polish story. And it opens up with them asking me about money. And I say, you know, uh, you know, people that say money can't buy happiness. is kind of a stupid question because I buy happiness all the time. And, you know, there there's, uh, you know, again that has to be taken in the right context though you you know money uh can buy a lot of fake friends if you think it's buying relationships however you know if you if you're a miserable human but you have money and someone needs medical care or needs food because they're starving it may not make you happy but it'll sure as hell make other people happy so people that say money can't buy happiness have not given enough of it away or applied it in the right way. And, and that is a big difference between giving back. You know, there's a the whole thing about give back. If I take your shoes, I should give them back. If I've not taken anything from somebody, there's nothing to give back. So I'm all for giving. What I'm not for is being guilted into giving because uh, some parasitical person is trying to act like there's some holier than thou person and that you should care about their cause or their mission or whatever. So I believe, you know, wealth, uh, True wealth uh, comes into, you know, money earned ethically is a byproduct of value creation. You can make money without creating value for other people. You can certainly exploit people. You can sell crap in a box. You, you know, there's there's plenty of things you can point to. However, most business owners, most entrepreneurs, most people I know are just really hardworking people trying to make a living, employing people, you know, and, and I don't like all of the vilification of business owners or all the anti-capitalistic sort of yeah there's a lot of corporatism yeah there's a lot of people that you can say under the umbrella of capitalism or exploiting people and at the same time in its purest form you know capitalism capitalism is exchanging uh, money for for value it's it's uh you know it's a, it's a, it's a collaboration and when and when when you're taking from someone and, and you're leaving them in a worse position you know i mean there's I wouldn't sell pornography. I wouldn't sell tobacco, um, at least cigarettes. You know There actually are medicinal uses of tobacco, uh, but there's a lot of shit that's sold in the world, a lot of poisons, a lot of terrible foods that are you know, packaged. Marketing, even though I've spent my life in marketing, there's a lot of people that use marketing in bad ways, and there's a lot of people that use it in amazing ways because marketing is storytelling. Marketing is what you say and who you say, say it to. And you could be the best, most caring person in the world, but there's no relationship between being good and getting paid.
0: I wish you could have taught me that sooner in my life. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if there's a simple, easy, quick way to, you know, wealth to me at this point in my life is <laughs> I'll read this to you, Mindy, cause you may have heard me say this before about three years ago. Let me see if I can find it. I've got a, uh, have to find it in one of my photos here but uh i opened up one of my genius network uh, annual events with uh this this had just recently happened and it was a uh, you know it was a picture of a guy holding up a, a, a piece of letterhead and written in german on on uh german stationery from a hotel and it, it was this letter from einstein and there were these two autograph notes in which einstein offered his thoughts on how to live a happy and fulfilling life and they sold at a jerusalem auction house uh, for a combined 1.8 million dollars and one of the notes which was estimated to sell for between five thousand eight thousand the letter just the letter in you know einstein's handwriting sold for uh this one particular note sold for 1.56 million dollars and this is, so what I'm about to read, someone paid one and a half million dollars for this note because of Einstein writing it. And it basically said, a calm and modest life brings more happiness than the pursuit of success combined with constant restlessness. I'll read that again. A calm and modest life brings more happiness than the pursuit of success combined with constant restlessness. And I'm a guy that spent most of his life where I will trade pain for productivity. I will trade peace for productivity. I will suffer in order to try to achieve something. And I don't know how conscious that is. I mean, I really don't. I mean, uh, the stuff I do with addicts, I spend about half my life right now, make no money off of it. I actually have funded it. You know, I've spent about $600,000 out of my own pocket in the last you know four or five years building educational platforms geniusrecovery.org and artists for addicts and all the stuff I've, I've done uh you know i've been offered money from rehab centers if we will promote them which i won't because many of them are super exploitive not that rehab centers all are bad some are really good some are horrible and exploitive um but i'm just like i want to be able to provide stuff as much as possible to people that struggle with addiction that don't have money because i'm in a fortunate position where i actually learned how to do okay in business. And a lot of people, they, they, they haven't, they, you know, they've, and so I've, you know, my goal is to, to change the global conversation about how people view and treat addicts with compassion instead of judgment and find the best forms of treatment that have efficacy and share those with the world. So I can use my marketing skills to, to, to get that message out. Now, as it comes back to wealth and that note, I, I've thought about it you know for a long time, like, okay, so if you don't have a constant restless life, then what if you're trying to do something big in the world? You know, in order for me to change the global conversation about how people view and treat addicts, and if that's an important thing for me to do, and I've attached meaning, because we're all meaning makers. I mean, at the end of the day, I can say, no, this is really important, and someone could be like, whatever, it's important to you, but you're going to die, and who gives a shit? But to me, it's like, you know what, there's a lot of suffering people, and I really don't like to see human suffering, and I kind of understand from my vantage point what it's like to be an addict. It's miserable. It, it is real human suffering. And I think I know ways to relieve it and in some cases eliminate it because I've gone through a, I've been in recovery for 20 years. So, you know, I go back and forth on that. If you want to be an achiever, you know, there's a trade-off, you know, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not easy to build a business. Uh, You know, amateurs wait for inspiration professionals do it with a headache. I mean, there are some days where you wake up and you go to war And also, I understand a lot about workaholism, because I've been a total workaholic for many parts of my life. And, um, you know, workaholism is a respectable addiction. I know performance uh, addiction. There's a lot of all these famous people. Man, if you only knew how addicted some of these people were, not just to behaviors, but to chemicals and things like that. And so, like, next year, I'm taking the whole year as a sabbatical. I'm taking the year off.
0: I love that for you. I love that for you. That is that's so good and so well deserved so joe this has been amazing and of course we could talk about a million other things but i want to leave our audience with just a, a trail of breadcrumbs of where they can learn more about you anybody that i don't know how they possibly could have not heard about you if they're listening to this show but if someone is new to your world for some reason where would you like them to go? And also, I'd like you to mention you have your annual event coming up. So let's yeah. talk a little bit about that.
1: Well, the annual event. So I run uh, probably the highest level, um, you know, group in the world for industry transformers. Uh, a lot of heavy emphasis on positioning and packaging and marketing. But what I do is we build a better entrepreneur. So I have a tribe of tribal leaders. It's like a. Uh, I bring a bunch of thoroughbreds together and just teach them how to be better racehorses. And so we do an annual event every year. This year, it's November 6th, 7th, and 8th. It's going to be virtual, obviously, because of, you know, the pandemic. And so if people want information on that, it's GeniusNetworkEvents.com. It's for people that run a million-dollar-plus year business, so uh, that's not everybody. And if someone's not a right fit for that, I have a ton of just great podcasts and free resources that really are not disguised sales pitches it's i put you know most people that benefit from what i do never pay me anything never will pay me anything and i put a lot of stuff out there so i have the i love marketing podcast uh i that i do with dean jackson i have the 10x talk podcast i do with dan sullivan and then i've got all my genius network members that we have the genius network podcast so if someone just types in joe polish into itunes they'll find all that it's or wherever they listen to podcasts like nail polish joe polish easy name the for recovery Anyone that's suffering from addiction or has a family member, geniusrecovery.org. Read the open letter. It's short. It gives my viewpoints on addiction. Links to every type of meaning, all kinds of addictions. It's all free. Um, the only thing that even remotely we sell is a book that I wrote with uh, Hal Elrod and Anna David called "The Miracle Morning for Addiction Recovery." People can get that on Amazon. Um, and. Uh, but the easiest thing, you know, I mean, my name is my website, which links to everything, joepolish.com. The easiest thing is just I have a book called Life Gives to the Giver. And just go to joesfreebook.com. It won't put you into any sort of like, uh, you know, in order to get anything good, you, you're put into an upsell sequence, and you have to buy 14 things before you. I mean, it's, you right. can download the book and not buy anything for me. If you want the physical copy, you can pay for shipping and handling. You're not going to be enrolled in some sort of monthly membership or anything like that. It's a free book, and it's really good, and people love that book. It's very short musings on marketing, on addiction, on life, on health. And it's just my thoughts and, and then people can subscribe to my three a week emails, which are really good. I put a lot of work into them and people love them. But yeah, joesfreebook.com, that's the easiest probably place to go. And uh, yeah, and I just hope that, um, you know, if anyone has anyone struggling with addiction, that's, that's my biggest thing if, you know, I've got plenty of business stuff out there that's in it. And I, you know, I've transformed many people's lives and business and, and whatnot, but that's, that's sort of my thing.
0: Well, you definitely transformed mine and Sean's life in business for sure. So I'm super grateful for that. I'm super grateful for you and also for your time and the stories today. Thank you so much.
1: You are welcome.
0: Thanks so much for listening. Make sure to subscribe to The Lucrative Society on iTunes. And please leave a review of the podcast. Visit lucra.com for transcripts and resources or to become a member of The Lucrative Society where I coach purpose-based entrepreneurs on business, mindset, and heartset. Lucra, where wealth equals well-being.